Well, I would like to invite you to turn to John chapter 15 as we consider our time in God's Word this morning. You'll find that on page 901 in the Pew Bible in front of you. It's John chapter 15, verse 17. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, certainly love for you to take that, and that could be your copy, and you could take that home with you as our gift to you. While you're finding your way to John, I do want to thank you for your generous giving over the holidays. I don't know if you noticed in the bulletin that uh, this church gave, what is it, over $45,000 to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. So praise the Lord. Amen indeed. And and just a month prior to that, you gave over $16,000 to support the persecuted church around this world. And I'm just delighted uh, for your sacrificial heart, and I trust that God will do a great and mighty work through your gifts and through your offerings, and I just want to thank you for your sacrifice, and may we continue to do so. In fact, um, well, I'll talk about that more later in the coming weeks, so I'm just very, very pleased with what God is doing in this church. May He be honored in it. So John chapter 15, and we'll consider this morning verse 7. Please hear now the Word of God. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this morning, abundantly so, for our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the words that He has for us to consider today. We pray now that You would help us, that You would perhaps quiet our hearts and still our minds And so we have the great privilege to sit under Your Word that it might come into our lives with authority, power, encouragement, delight. And so, Father, help us through Your Spirit to hear from You. Will He now not even fill us that we might know our Lord and be more faithful to Him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It was in 1952 that Duncan Campbell was a keynote speaker at the Faith Mission uh, Convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland. He had just finished his sermon and he went to sit down on the platform behind the pulpit while another speaker arrived. And as he sat there, he heard the word in his mind, burn away. Burnaray is a small island off Scotland. I mean, a tiny island, 2,000 acres large. And so he began to pray. He bowed his head and prayed. And again, he was burdened by this word, Burnaray. He prayed a third time. And for a third time, this word came to his mind. And so Duncan Campbell turned to the chairman of the convention who was sitting next to him on the platform and said, Brother, you will have to excuse me. The Holy Spirit just told me I am to go to Burnaway. Well, the chairman objected. He said, you're the speaker tomorrow. Right? But Campbell would not be dissuaded. He got up, left the building, went to his hotel, packed his two suitcases, and contacted the airport and said, I need the first flight to Bernaret. The airport said, we don't fly to Bernaret. He said, fly me to the nearest island. Campbell was flown to the nearest island, an island he had never been to in his life. He walked to the seashore, found a man there, and said, I would like to get to Bernaret. Can you take me there? This man happened to be a fisherman, and they arranged a fare, and so he got on this man's fishing boat, and and Campbell, with his two suitcases and his suit on, sailed across the sea to Bernaray, where the fisherman dropped him off on the seashore, waved goodbye, and left. Now there he stood with his suitcases and his suit on the shore of the island of Bernaray. He said, I have never been to Bernaray, had never met anyone from Bernaray, never received a letter from Bernaray. But nevertheless, he climbed a bluff, and there he found a farmer plowing his field. He walked up to this farmer and said, will you please go tell the nearest elder that Duncan Campbell has arrived? So this farmer stared at him in bewilderment as this crazy man just walked into his farm with suitcases in hand. But the stare evidently was convincing, and off the farmer went. Camel sat down his suitcases there in the middle of the field and just sat on them and rested for this man's return, in which he did a half hour later with these words. The elder was expecting you. 
He said to tell you that the meeting will be at 9 o'clock this evening. He has already sent out the invitations and he has your room ready. You see, while Campbell was at the convention three days earlier, this elder had spent his day praying in his barn for God to send revival to his small island. His wife overheard him praying. Lord, I don't know where he is, but you know. And with you, all things are possible. You send him to this island. And this farmer, this elder rather, was so confident that God was going to send Duncan Camel to this island that he, uh, three days earlier, made all the arrangements for the, the revival, booked the local church, and sent announcements across this island. Well, the first night of the conference of the, the revival was rather ordinary, and so was the second and Camel was getting ready to leave the second night um, when someone came to the door and called for him to come outside. When he opened the church door, he found the entire congregation outside, so gripped by the power of God that they were unable to leave. He, Camel said, everybody back in. And in they went back into that church building. And in a few minutes later, countless sin-burdened souls began to call upon God. Many were saved and transformed that night and the following days of the revival of Bernaray. Wesley Duell writes, when God has people who prevail in prayer, there is no limit to what God will do. Or as Paul put it in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. If, like to consider with you this morning prayer. I would like to consider with you Jesus Christ's promises of prayer. We see that there in John chapter 15 and verse 7 as he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. However, this is not the only place that Jesus taught us to prayer. Will you direct your attention to verse 16 of John 15 when the Lord says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the name, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And again in chapter 16, you notice verse 23, when the Lord says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Notice John chapter 14 and verse 13, when the Lord declares, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There are six promises, amazing promises, in what we call the farewell discourse of Jesus Christ. John 14 through 16, he says, this I will do, I will do it, it will be done for you, he may give it to you, he will give it to you, you will receive. So when Christ is preparing His disciples for His imminent departure, He gathers them together and He is incredibly keen to create a praying people. And He gives them these amazing promises. I mean, it's intimidating even to preach because they are so, they're, they're so out there. I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's, it's far from my own experience. I'm intimidated by this passage. As Christ offers us so much, I believe, in prayer. In fact, you, it doesn't end there. You, you, he teaches on prayer in John 14, 15, 16. You get to John 17. And what is it? It's an entire chapter of the prayer of Jesus Christ. 26 verses of Jesus pouring out his heart to God. And of course, that's not the only place that Jesus prayed. You know that, don't you? The Bible tells us he was praying when he was baptized. Scripture tells us he was praying during his 40 days of temptation. He was praying after his healing crusade in Nazareth. He was praying all uh, in Capernaum. He was praying all night when he selected the 12. He was praying before he fed the 5,000. The Bible also tells us he was praying before he fed the 4,000. He was praying when he spoke to the Jewish leaders. He was in prayer when the 72 returned to him from their mission. He was praying alone before he walked on water. While he was healing the deaf man, the Bible says he was praying before Peter confessed him as Christ. Jesus 
Jesus was in prayer. He was praying on the Mount of Transfiguration when God's glory enveloped him. He was praying when they asked him to teach them to pray. He prayed at Lazarus' tombs. He prayed when he laid hands on little children. He prayed after the triumphal entry. He prayed at the Lord's Supper. He prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has asked me to sift you, but I have prayed for you. He prayed the high priestly prayer. He prayed in the garden. He prayed on the cross. Not once, not twice, but three times. He prayed with the disciples after his resurrection. The Bible says while he ascended to heaven, he was praying. And by the way, he's still praying. He's still in heaven making intercessions before God on your behalf. I think Luke summarizes it well when he says in Luke 5 and verse 16, he would withdraw often to desolate places and pray. My question for you today, Hamilton Baptist Church, is do you want to be like Jesus? Then you must be a person of prayer. Do you want to know him? You must pray. Christ has shown us this. He has invited us into this. He has declared, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In fact, you notice, as I mentioned last week, as we consider this verse, this verse has two halves. Last week we considered the first half, the words abiding in us. Today we consider the second half, this invitation to ask. But you do notice, by the way, that that these, these halves are connected, right? The, the first half is the condition for the second. If you abide, he says, I think you, we would be safe to insert the word then. If you, my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So the key to powerful prayer is having the word of God abide into us. Then we'll have this wonderful prayer that Jesus asks for us. Of course, by the way, prayer is more than asking, isn't it? And so please don't misunderstand me. Prayer is is loving and confessing and thanking God and dialoguing with Him and pouring out your heart and your confusions and so forth with Him. So prayer is far more than asking from Him. But it's not less than that. And it's here specifically that Jesus addresses this aspect of prayer. Asking, supplication. And He says there's a great power, there's a connection between the Word and prayer. And so I want to consider that with you this morning. How does the Word impact our prayers, especially the effectiveness of our prayers? And of course, Jesus doesn't tell us here in John 15, 7. And so what we're going to have to do uh, this morning, as we did last week, I rarely do. It's just, just going to be a topical sermon. We're not going to just take a text and work our way through it. We're going to maybe bounce around a little bit. And I have the verses there on your handout. You can look at those later. But you notice uh, that, that I've identified three ways in which I believe the abiding Word of God in us will impact the effectiveness or the, the power of our prayers. Consider first of all, that the abiding word increases our faith. If you want to grow in faith, you need to let the word abide in you. We considered this last week, and the Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 17 uh, that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Now, I think a lot of times we look at that verse and say, well, that's just saving faith. That's what brings us to faith. And I think that's true, but I don't think it stops there. I think the more we, we pursue God through His Word, the more our faith in God will grow. And evidently, according to Christ, faith in prayer is rather important. Mark 11 and verse 14 says, All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. And so evidently, God is very uh, encouraged when we actually believe He's going to answer our prayers. Where do we find that faith to believe? Well, I believe the Word of God will give you that faith. I believe the Word of God will conjure it up and grow that faith in your heart. And you will find that the abiding Word, as it increases faith in you, will give you power in your prayers. I think the story that Corey Ten Boom tells illustrates this beautifully. Many of you know the story of Corrie Ten Boone and her family living in Nazi occupation. Her father, Casper, a watch salesman, a, 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 a man who made and sold watches. Well, and when they were under Nazi occupation, they were facing great difficulty and great poverty. And Casper would gather his family together a lot. And they would pray that God would send a customer into their shop to buy a watch to pay the overdue bills. Well, one day, God, God seemed to do that. A customer came in, and to Casper's great delight, he picked out a very expensive watch. He said, I'd like to buy this watch. And as he was paying for the watch, he happened to mention to Casper that he recently bought a very nice watch, but it was defective. Well, Casper said, well, can I look at that watch? And he he looked at it, 
And he says, well, this is not defective. It just has a, a, a very minor repair. I could take care of it in just a minute or two. And he was happy to repair it. And, and he said, you were never sold a defective watch. Whoever sold you this watch sold you a very fine watch. And he fixed it for him. Of course, the man, therefore, had no need to buy a new watch. And so he took his old fixed watch and walked out of Casper's shop. Little Corey, who was, happened to be working with her papa at that time, said, Papa, why did you do that? What about our bills? Her father replied that it would, would not honor the Lord to allow another man's reputation to be um, wrongly harmed. And that God would provide for them in the right way. Well, a few days later, just as Casper had prayed, just as Casper had believed, a man came in and he bought the most expensive watch that Casper had to sell. And not only paid for all their bills, but actually paid for two years of Corey's education. You see, I think Christ is teaching us when we abide in his word, we will become more and more people of faith and who trust in him. And then we ask for whatever our new heart wishes, and he says it will be done for you. There's also, I believe, a connection in that the abiding word makes us godly. So consider with me that, that the abiding word in us will create us to be more like Christ, and that therefore God will be more inclined to answer our prayers. In fact, John read from us, to us from John six, uh, Psalm 66 this morning, where the psalmist says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So evidently, God is less inclined to listen to our prayers if you and I cherish iniquity. First Peter 3, I think, applies this very specifically when it says in verse 7, Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so Scripture teaches us that intentionally cherishing sin in our heart or, or walking in sin will cut you off from, from God answering your prayers. I don't think absolutely, don't misunderstand me, but there is an impact. And those of you who are parents or grandparents, you can relate to this, I think. Are, are you not more inclined to answer the request of your children if they live a life seeking to please you and honor you and to obey you? As opposed to a child who's rebellious and sneaking around and perhaps lying to you? Is, is there not a connection in your heart? Is, are you not more uh, willing and eager to respond to their requests? It seems like God is. He says in James 5 and verse 16, The prayer of a righteous person will accomplish much. And so how do we grow in righteousness? Well, we consider this last week. The Word of God will grow you in righteousness. Jesus Christ prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It will make us more like Christ. And I believe as the word abides in us, we become people whom God wants to answer in prayer. And then we ask for whatever our new heart desires, and he will give it to us. But there is a third connection between how the word abiding in our heart creates powerful prayer. And I believe the word of God changes our heart. I believe the word changes us so that we will begin to pray what God wants. Now, the reality is, I think most of us, when we pray, have a tendency to pray, I think, what we call natural prayers. We, 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 let me put it differently. We, have, we pray our natural desires before God. So most of the time, if, especially if we're not abiding in Scripture, we will pray the way an unbeliever might pray if they did. Right? What, what I mean by that, what, we'll ask for health, we'll ask for a better job or safe journeys or successful children or plenty of food or a happy marriage or a working car, a comfortable retirement. These are the requests we'll bring before God. And by the way, none of them are bad. But none of them display any evidence in our life that we, our desires have changed. None of them are evidence that God has impacted our heart at all. If that's all we pray for. In fact, John Piper in his book, When I Don't Desire God, says, Prayer is the revealer of the heart. What a person prays for shows the spiritual condition of his heart. If we do not pray for spiritual things, then it is because we do not desire these things. I, I would suggest to you, but if we abide in God's word, 
your longings will begin to change. You will change how you pray. And it's not to say you won't pray for your marriage or your health or your job or your journeys, but you'll pray for them differently. You'll pray for them in a way that exalts Christ and, and honors Him, right? And you, you, you may pray for safe journey as you pack the kids in the car and, and the dogs in the back. And you may pray, God, give us safety, right? But you may also now begin to say, God, will you please help me be patient that I might exalt Christ during this journey? Will you, will you help me to help us all to honor Christ in, in uh, this time of potential stress and hardship? Or you might pray for uh, your job, but you will do more than just pray for your prosperity in it or your promotion in it. You, You'll pray that, that God will use your job to help people and that you will honor God with how you labor and that God will give you a genuine love for your coworkers and, and that, that, that in loving them, you might have an opportunity to speak to them about Christ. See, when the Word of God comes into our heart and it begins to take root, our desires are going to change. We're going to begin to pray for new things. We're going to pray like the early church that we see in the book of Acts by the way, had incredibly powerful prayer. You know, the early church asked God to exalt His name in the world, to extend His kingdom. They prayed for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They asked Him to save unbelievers. They prayed for healing, for unity and harmony. They, they prayed to help, that God would help them to know Him better and that they would comprehend the love of Christ more fully. They prayed for a deeper sense of their assured hope. They prayed for strength and endurance, for their faith to preserve, persevere. And they prayed that God would enable them to do good works. I'm telling you that if you let the Word of God abide in your heart, it will change your heart. It will change what you love. This won't happen, by the way, overnight. This won't happen over weeks. But it will happen over the months, the years, as God begins to change what you long for and it begins to line up with what God longs for. And when we begin to ask things according to the will of God, we know that God is much more inclined to answer in the affirmative. As First John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know if He hears us, then we know whatever we ask from Him, we have received. Or the opposite would be James 4. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so John Piper, I think, rightly puts, the key to praying with power is to become the kind of person who does not use God for our ends, but are utterly devoted to being used for His ends. That happens when you allow the Word to take root in your life. When things in your heart will begin to change. Now, I believe Paul beautifully displays this. You know, of course, Paul, in his letters, uh, often tells the people he's writing to that I'm, I'm praying for you. But he does more than tell them that he's praying for them. He actually tells them what it is that he's praying for them. And it's interesting because you look at every one of Paul's prayers, and I don't think there's a single time when Paul ever prays for relief of suffering. I don't think he ever prays for someone's job. I don't even think he ever prays for someone's health. Right? Instead, you know what Paul prays for? He says, I'm praying that you would have an overwhelming sense of the power of God. I'm praying that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you would be aware of the power, the incomparably great power at work in you. I'm praying that you might have a transforming faith. Paul never seems to pray for all the things that must have been plaguing them. Now, what we generally think is that our happiness and our joy and our, our peace in our life comes from pleasant circumstances, right? If things are going well outside of us, if this happens, then I'll be happy. Or if I receive this, then I'll be happy. Or if we could take this away from us, then I will be happy. And what happens is we become obsessed with changing the circumstances and the conditions in our life in order for us to have joy and peace and happiness. And this is what we pray for. God, change these things outside of us. Change this circumstance. Do this outside of us. And by the way, of course, there's always one more thing, isn't there? We never actually arrive there, right? We need one more thing or one more thing taken away. Well, Paul comes along and he says, I think through his prayers, what you need is not a change on the outside, but what you need is a change on the inside. It's not a matter of your circumstances. It's a matter of your heart. And the real problem is that you don't sense the power of God's purpose behind you. That you don't 
delight in the glory of God. You don't believe that God is in control of every minute of your day and is working sovereignly for your good. And it's when the Word begins to teach us that that we'll begin to see what what needs to take place is for me to be joyful is a change in my heart. See, the, the reason why people, Christians, struggle with depression and anxiety and anger, there are, of course, many reasons, I think. But I think that one of the fundamental reasons is that they value something more than the inheritance that they have as a Christian. If you're, if you're constantly struggling with bitterness or depression or anxiety or fear, it is because you, you value something more generally outside of you than you do, than you value what you have received in Christ. So imagine for, for a moment, a, a four-year-old boy who has a, has a, a broken truck. And this boy loves this truck, and, and he, it's his favorite toy, and now his toy is broken, and therefore he is what? Sad. Well, what if you came up to this little boy and said, Honey, um, I have some news for you. I, you. I just heard that you had a long-lost uh, relative who just died, and uh, he has left you $100 million. Right? Uh, you, or what, what's, the, what's the lottery? Who's playing the lottery here? What is it? It's like a $900 million, billion dollars, whatever it is, right? You have, this is what you have now inherited. Now, what does the four-year-old boy say? You know, does he say, uh, 20, $20 million, $100 million? Who cares about this truck, right? I, I'm rich. No, he doesn't. He says, I don't care about your $100 million. I want my truck fixed, and I'm not going to be happy until it's fixed. Right? Now, that's irrational, isn't it? But he's, the child doesn't know the value of $100 million, does he? He, he can't. It's impossible for him. He's four years old. But if he could grasp the value of a hundred million dollars, he would be fine. He would be more than fine. He'd be happy. He wouldn't care anymore about truck or anything like that. Well, you are like the child. And so am I. Right? We, we, listen, Christ, Christian, Christ is your savior. You have been adopted, literally adopted into the family of God. You right now live in the kingdom of God. One day it will come in perfection. You are a co-heir with Christ. You will inherit this world in its perfect condition. He is ruling every aspect of your life for your good. And yet your financial problems are destroying your life. Right? Your relationship problems are stealing your joy. And I humbly suggest that you are like this four-year-old child. And that if you could begin to understand, if the Word could get us in touch with reality, which it does, if the Word can show us what is truly important, we would begin to pray, not for the fix of our truck, but we would begin to pray that we could understand the love of Christ more fully and understand our inheritance in Christ, the imperishable, unfading inheritance kept for us in heaven. And God will say, I'll answer that prayer. That's the prayer I will answer. See, the Word is going to help us reevaluate what's truly important in our life. It's not to say we don't pray for health and, and those issues and our relationships. Those are terribly important for us. But the Word will help us to have this stability, this joy, this, this, this power. When the circumstances come against us, it will not rob us from our joy and our purpose. There's a story that Peter Lewis tells of a Chinese pastor, and I think approves this point. He, this Chinese pastor was arrested for his faith. He was living in a prison camp, right? So already, most likely, his life is worse than yours, right? He is locked away, most likely will never see freedom. And uh, he, there he's trying to follow Jesus. Has no Bible, but he loves to sing, loves to pray, but everybody else hates it when he does it. And so the guards began to beat him whenever he prayed. Whenever he sang, they would come and beat him. In fact, out of their malice for this pastor, they made him do the uh, latrine duty for the prison camp. And every day, this pastor would, would clean out the excrement from the latrine. And then he would take it to scatter it as fertilizer in the fields. And the smell was so foul that the guards would flee a great distance from him giving him plenty of space. You know what he did with that space? (laughs) He prayed. He sang to the Lord. He came to love latrine duty. It was a duty that brought him communion with one he can now openly enjoy. In fact, he says, the dunghill is my garden. In fact, he's saying, I come to the garden alone. 
while the dew is still on the roses, for he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you allow the word of God to abide in you, it will change your heart. It will change what you long for. And then whatever you ask for in that new heart, it will be given to you according to the word of Christ. Which, of course, raises this massive objection that I feel and I wonder if you feel. And wait a second, Pastor, you might say, I've been praying and praying and praying, and I don't know how it could, what I'm praying could be against the will of God. I feel like I'm pursuing God. I feel like I trust God. Why are my prayers unanswered? This is a confusion I have as well. There are many things I have prayed for earnestly and have not received. You might be thinking, I'm not experiencing this powerful prayer. God is not answering me. Well, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if it's true that God is not answering you. You know, the Apostle Paul once prayed fervently. He had, a, the Bible says, a thorn in his flesh. And the Bible says he prayed three times for that thorn to be removed. Right? Do you know that story? Was Paul's prayer answered? Well, I, I think we could, some of us could say, well, no, of course it wasn't. The thorn was never removed. But others would say, yes, it was answered. God answered that prayer by giving him grace to endure the affliction of his thorn. And in the end, Paul delighted in God's response to his request. Right? The Bible says, Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God came to Paul and said, Paul, how about this? Instead of removing the thorn, I will let you experience the perfection of my power in such a degree that you have never experienced before because you are afflicted by the thorn. Would you like that? And you know what Paul said? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be, may rest upon me. So even though God did not give him his specific request, you see what God came and he answered the underlying need. He did answer that prayer. He came and, and met the need that Paul had in his life. You see, listen, prayer is this, is this powerful tool. And God is, if you will, putting it in the hands of children. Like you and I. And so sometimes he needs to fix our prayers. In fact, um, I, both my two oldest son, they, sons, they each own a BB gun. And, and it took some convincing, but I got it done, right? And, um, you know, my son Gideon, who's seven, is now armed and, and ready to defend the house. And he got a, his own BB gun for Christmas. And, but one thing that daddy does before he, he puts the BB gun in his hands and says, have a good time, is that he teaches, you know, the safety mechanisms and how to aim. And he shows them this thing has a safety, right? And, and you push it in, and, and if it turns red, red means dead, right? And so be careful when it's red, and don't shoot your sisters or your daddy or your mom. You can shoot your brothers, that's okay. But uh, I'm just kidding, you did not hear that. No, look at the response. No shooting anybody, right? And so, so, I'm totally lost now. Um, This is what God has done for us in prayer. So God is going to give us prayer and as a powerful weapon and He's going to put a safety on it so that He doesn't give us what could hurt us, what's bad for us. You see, what if if my son said, you know, this this BB gun's fun. Dad, can I I go use the shotgun? Right? That that sounds like fun too. And and so how would I respond to that? Well, there'd be a little pride in me, I think. but other than that, I, I would say to him, Nelson, you're, you're too little. You, you, can't, you can't use the shotgun. It's not safe. But I understand you're bored. I understand that uh, you, 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 want, you want some excitement. How about we go for a hike? Let's go look, let's go look at the waterfall. I bet it's frozen over. Right? You see, God may not give you what you specifically request, but God will give you what you need. Right? He'll meet the need behind the request. Paul says, will you please remove the thorn? God says, what if, what if instead I let you experience my power that you've never experienced before? What if I did that instead? Or Jesus, right? So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees and he's praying not once, not twice, but three times. Just like Paul, will you, re- will you remove this cup from me? Please remove this cup from me. And in fact, Hebrews 7 said, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He's not whispering this. He's crying. Remove this cup from me! Crying, shedding blood at that time. Crying out to God. The Bible says in, first, in Hebrews 5, 7, who was able to save him from death. 
But the verse goes on and says, And he was heard. Isn't that extraordinary? What do you mean he was heard? He, had, he went to the cross. How was he heard? As God is saying, I may not give you specific requests, but I will answer the need behind it. I hear you, and I'm going to work in this situation, but I'm not going to give you the wrong thing even though you ask for it. I'm not going to do that, but I'll always respond to your need. So if, if, you're, if something's going on in your life and you're, you're tempted to meet me afterwards or send me an email this week and say, listen, Stephen, I've been praying for this and I've been praying for this. Why doesn't God answer this? I'll tell you, first thing I'll tell you is I don't know. I'm not up there. I can't talk to him in that way. I don't know. But this this is what I do know. He's your father and you're a child. And children, children ask for the wrong thing every day. In fact, it's almost every hour, right? Asking for something that's bad for them. Right? And God, in his grace, gives them parents. No, you can't watch more TV. No, you can't play on that screen. No, you you can't have more candy. Right? And, And we have parents... Because they don't, they don't know what's right for them. And, and then when we say, no, you can't do this, how do we want our kids to respond? Okay, Dad, I, I believe that you have my best interests in heart. Right? And you are obviously far wiser than I. And so I graciously submit to your no. Right? Now, listen, the younger kids, they don't generally do that. right? They, they throw fit. At times, right? But the older they get, sometimes, don't they? Maybe not in those words. Okay, I, I trust you, right? And the, as they grow up, they begin to trust us, right? So you, you can respond to God in a couple of ways when he says, well, I'm not going to give you exactly that. You, what you could say is, well, my dad loves me. He showed me. He put his son on the cross for me. So I trust him, even though I can't understand, right? Sometimes children can't understand. They don't have the ability to understand. But what they can understand is he is for me. He's shown it because he has nailed his son upon a cross for you, a sinner. He says, I'll give you my son. Does that not show how much I love you? And we respond in faith, okay, I don't get why I'm not getting this, but I trust you. Or we could throw a fit. Right? We could get angry. Right? We could, we could get cold when we don't get what, what we are asking for. So if my sons, I said, I know you can't have a sh- uh, play with a shotgun, but let's go for a hike. And you know what happens if he begins to throw a fit? No, I want to play with a shotgun. Right? You know what happens? He doesn't get the shotgun or the hike. He doesn't get the request, and he doesn't get the need met. And when God does not give you exactly what you want, and you throw a fit, he can't even meet your need that underlies it. You need to trust him. How are you trusting him? Because if you've been following Christ for any period of time, you have, you've come up to this, right? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and it's just, it's not coming. Right? How are you responding? You could say, I know you're the Father and I trust you. Or you could get mad and throw a fit. By the way, do you know which children are closest to the Father's heart? It's those who know their children. Those who understand that, that they're the kid and you're the dad. And that they don't need an explanation. They trust you. I'll tell you, you get that place with God, that's the place of happiness. That's the place of joy. It's the child who trusts the Father. Abide in His Word. Abide in it. Listen, and you'll grow up. He'll, he'll grow up that child in you. And you'll begin to ask for different things. Your, your requests will change. And, and when your requests will change, He'll become more inclined to give you what you're asking for. Right? And, and in fact, he'll, he'll, he'll not only meet the need behind it, as you grow, He'll actually give you the request that you're asking for as your heart is changed. That's why Jesus links prayer with joy. Now, we have to speed up a little bit here, so hold on for a moment. Uh, Jesus tells us there's not only this connection between the Word and prayer, but He gives us incentives to pray. I want you to turn to John chapter 16 and notice this wonderful promise that Jesus offers us. We consider this in verse 24 um, already, or at least we read it, now let's consider it. The Lord says, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So I, I want to tell you, Christian, today you want joy? Then pray. In fact, just not any joy. You want fullness of joy. Then pray. 
And in fact, he tells us why this prayer leads to joy. I think there's probably a dozen reasons why prayer leads to joy, but Jesus gives us one in this verse. He says, ask, you will receive, and when you receive, you will have joy. In other words, as the Word changes us, and our, our heart desires change, and we begin to ask things according to the will of God, that He will give to us what we are asking for, and our hearts will be filled with the joy of seeing God work in our life. The joy will be filled, uh, uh, we'll have joy in seeing God work in our church and our family through our prayers. Elsewhere, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. I think we could probably say you have no joy because you ask not, right? You want joy? Evident lookings right here. Jesus links fullness of joy with a devotion and life to prayer. Therefore, prayerlessness will lead inevitably to joylessness. So there may be times of joy, but there won't be stability and joy. There certainly will not be fullness of joy. And Jesus invites us to pray to him. In fact, I'll tell you the prayer that will give, there is a prayer that will give you the greatest joy ever. Is a prayer of surrender to God. You see, God wants you to have joy, not just through prayer. He wants you to have joy through receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christ came to this world and He lived a perfect life. And then when His life was coming to an end, He went to a cross where He was killed. He was murdered upon a cross, not because He had done anything wrong, not because God was punishing Him for Himself, but God was punishing Jesus for you and I. Christ bore our sin upon that cross and three days later rose from the dead. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's a prayer. If you say, Jesus, I believe you are my Lord. You pray that prayer. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, the Bible says. You want joy, surrender your life to Christ right now. Don't listen to another word I say. It doesn't matter. You surrender. You take the next 10 minutes and pray to Him. I believe I'm giving my life to you. And He will wash away all your sin by His shed blood and receive you into His family forever. You will not be saved by your goodness, friend. You will only be saved by faith in the Son of God who loves you and died for you. I'll tell you, prayer leads to joy, but it does more than that. Prayer glorifies the Father. Look back in John 15. We know verse 7 by now, I hope, when he says, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. goes on and says, By this the Father is glorified. In verse 8, that you bear much fruit. So God is glorified in your fruit bearing. How do you bear fruit? Look in verse 16 of John 15. The Bible says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit may abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. You see, prayer is for fruit bearing. And so there's a link here between prayer and fruitfulness in our life. And then verse 8, of course, we just saw this is my father's glorified when you bear fruit. So when you pray to God and God begins to respond to your prayers and gives you what you ask for, you will glorify God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you're praying, you're putting yourself in the position of need and God in the position of benefactor. Right? Who gets the glory? The one who receives or the one who gives? To the giver goes the glory. See, you pray, and you're the one who's receiving, so you get joy. And at the very same transaction, if you will, God, the one who gives, gets glory. This is why the Bible in Proverbs 15 and verse 8 says, The prayer of the upright is his delight. What a verse. The prayer of the upright is his delight. He has not only asked us to pray, he has not only commanded us to pray, he has not only graciously invited us to pray. I tell you, friends, he takes delight in your prayers. He delights to be asked by you. I will hope that these truths would impact you. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Church of Colossae, says, devote yourself to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Be like the early church. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Or Acts 2, verse 42, the early church were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Or Acts 6, the Bible says the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Romans 12 and verse 12, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. I've been praying this week that God God would turn Hamilton Baptist Church into a house of prayer. That we would become by His grace... A, a powerful praying people. 
That we would know God personally and intimately and powerfully in our lives and in our communities, in our relationships, because we are people who have devoted ourselves to abiding in the Word of God and responding to it in prayer. What could God do through this church if we, as this small little faith community, begin to say, we are going to try new ventures in prayer. We are going to now begin to become a people truly devoted to prayer. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it, right? Take the steps necessary to be people of prayer. Start, start a new venture with God. Why can't today be the day in which you turn this corner and say, okay, you know, I've been playing with this prayer for decades, but I'm getting serious now. I'm going to be, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, that man is devoted to prayer. That woman is a woman committed to prayer. And I'll tell you, God will be so honored in your life and you'll be so full of joy that, that, that God will do so much work in you and through you and through this church. What, what, well, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes I feel so stupid because what more does he have to say to me to get me to do it? I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I, I would be embarrassed to say those words if it wasn't a direct quotation from the Bible. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Devote yourself in prayer. May I offer you very humbly three suggestions on how to do this. This does not come from an expert. I don't stand before you today as one I would suggest you model your life after in prayer. But I do stand before you as one who the past six months has been asking God to begin a new work in my heart, the elders' hearts and this church's heart in prayer. I would suggest to you humbly, first of all, if you want to be devoted to prayer, you need to schedule your prayer. You need to know when you're going to do it and where you're going to do it. We talked about this last week when we talked about the word abiding in us. I'll tell you, you will not seek God on the run. You will not be able to cram prayer into the corners of your day and truly be a person devoted in prayer. It will not happen by accident. I think D.A. Carson is right when he says much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. We do not drift into the spiritual life. We will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. You need to put it on your calendar. It is an appointment with a real person. You have a meeting with Jesus and such and such time and such and such day. And you need to put it there. It needs to become important. Number three, I think you should have a strategy. I think we all should understand how we will pray. And there are many different strategies to help you pray. pray. Uh, perhaps you're aware of the ACTS uh, acronym, uh, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, or Requests. You take the Lord's Prayer and use that as a model of prayer. Sometimes people use concentric circles, right? They start with the people closest to them and, and move out. Maybe you were taught as a kid to use your hand as a way to help you to pray. This is what I've been finding myself doing recently in the past number of months. And I, I think of my pinky finger, and that reminds me to pray for myself. Uh, my small and insignificant finger, I wouldn't mind if I missed it much. And so I, I'll just, this will help me to remember to pray for my own soul and my own life. And God, I want to follow Jesus today and I want to be bold for Christ today. And then I, I move on to the ring finger. And this, as you could probably guess, reminds me to pray for my family. So I begin to pray for my wife and my children and my parents and, and sometimes my extended family. And the middle finger reminds me to pray for my government. So don't, don't take that the wrong way, right? Okay. Uh, it is, I didn't even, come on now. It is, uh, it is the largest finger on my hand, and so it reminds me of those who are in authority and who are above me. It reminds me to pray for all those in authority. It reminds me to pray for my culture and my country. Um, and, and those who stand in those positions. The Bible says pray for those in our authority, does it not? The pointer finger, we use it to point. It reminds me to pray for those who have gone to where we might point. It reminds me to pray for our missionaries, our mission boards, our seminaries. I'll tell you, my seminary has such a massive impact in my life. I'm so thankful to God for it. I pray it keeps them faithful. It reminds me to pray for the persecuted church. And my thumb reminds me, you know, my, perhaps my most useful digit reminds me to pray for you. 
I pray for this church roster. I pray for you by name. I pray for our elders. I pray for our community group. I pray for the vision that God is placing upon our heart as a church. I pray for our outreach into our community and our offerings and our giving and the work that we do. And you, you can do it. That's what I do. You do whatever you want to do. But I think you need to... Don't spin your wheels thinking, okay, who am I supposed to pray for? How is this supposed to happen? Right? Have, have a, a strategy. And then thirdly... What are you going to pray? There needs to be a substance to it. And what I do is I just pray Scripture. So I'm, I always combine Scripture and prayer. I'm abiding in the Word. And then whatever's in the Word, whatever I read, that's what I pray typically. And, and I begin to pray for, for what I've read. So uh, I'm getting ready to preach, uh, at the end of this month, a short series through the book of Haggai. And Haggai 1, God comes to the people and says, Hey, you, you guys live in these fancy houses, but my temple's still in ruins. Can you explain that to me? And, and so it's been challenging me. I've been praying that God would pull materialism out of my heart that weakens my delight in this kingdom and that he would do that for you and, and for our church. And we understand this church doesn't exist just to serve us, but it exists ultimately to glorify God and make disciples for his honor. And so the word has been informing my prayers. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, your, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are you going to find the will of God? It's in the Bible. And so pray, pray the scripture. It's not all you pray. You know special needs in people's lives. You pray for those, of course. But you need to know what you're going to pray. Listen, how many of us, day after day, we get to the end of our days and we say, I should have prayed today. Right? For honest? How many of us get to that point? Well, we don't. Because we have no plan. We don't have a place. We don't have a time. We don't have a strategy. We don't have a substance. Right? And, and, and you'll tell you, if you don't pray... <laughs> Joy is going to be pretty shady in your life. There's going to be very little fruit in your life. This is how God has called us to live. You need to plan. You want to go on vacation, what do you do? You plan, right? If you don't, you don't go on vacation by accident, right? You're not going to pray by accident. You need to plan. And my hope is that you would indeed. My, my ex, I plead with you. I plead with myself that we would begin something new. Starting today, we begin something new. We begin to pray with our spouses and our kids and draw alone with God in prayer that He might do a great and mighty work in our hearts. In fact, let's pray even now. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for this great promise and incentive to call out to you for help, to call out to you our needs. And yet, for some reason... We neglect it. Of course, not, not all of us. I know there are many mighty women and men of prayer in this building. But I would guess for most of us, we would not look at our own lives and say, I am devoted to prayer. Will you help us to see beyond the lies? To help us to understand that joy is found in prayer and glory for you is found in prayer and that if we abide in the word, great power is found in prayer. Help Hamilton Baptist Church. Father, my my dream for Hamilton is not that we would grow and grow and grow. Not that we become known in any way other than simply a humble people who love God with everything we got. And it is seen by how we are devoted to how He has revealed Himself to us and how we respond to Him in prayer. Do that work. Is that not according to your will, Father? Is that not what you want for us as well? We humbly ask you. We pray that you would even delight in this prayer we offer to you now. Make this your house of prayer for our joy and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.